This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. This should be a fun one today, Tom. Yeah, so what we're going to be looking at today is basically what's known as NASA spinoff technologies. They're kind of technologies that NASA created that for change into commercial products and services. Like they have patents on a lot of these things, and but a lot of them are also consumer goods, like freeze-dried foods and stuff like that, some firefighting equipment. Like We'll talk about all these different things that become commonplace in 2023, but really originated with NASA and uh, and ways to get people into space or prepare to get into space. It is common knowledge that some of the greatest minds to ever live in the United States, um, or even the world, have worked for NASA. But uh, what these NASA spin-offs refer to are basically unintended or unexpected benefits and technologies that have resulted from NASA's research, right? Uh, yeah. NASA's research development, sp- space exploration activities, all these things. These spin-offs have had a significant, as you guys will see, impact industries, technologies, everyday life, really. I assume everyone knows what NASA is, but basically... U.S. Congress passed legislation to establish the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, more commonly known as NASA, July 29, 1958. And the idea was really to coordinate America's activities in space and try to get all the brightest minds together uh, for the sure purpose of trying to keep up with Soviet yeah, Union. It was, it, was, it was a Cold War program. They're trying to get people in the space, trying to land man on the moon, everything like that. Now they're, they're doing another manned mission to the moon, I think by 2025. 2026, they want to land people on the moon again and further, obviously. But yeah, this is what it is. And um, these NASA spinoffs, they call them spinoffs. They actually publish a book annually that talks about these spinoffs. Since the 70s, right? I think the 70s. 76 was the first one. And it documents more than 2,000 uh, technology. So we're not going to go over all of them today, but there's a large number of these technologies. They first start to become aware in 1979, where there's actually a science fiction author, Robert A. Hyman, actually talks about these spinoffs when he appears before Congress. Um, because he actually had a vascular bypass operation to um, correct a blocked artery. And he says that he basically couldn't have done that without several of these NASA spinoff technologies made that surgery possible. And once once he gives that um, speech in front of Congress is when they really start to catch on publicly, people become more aware of these things. Yeah, I mean, good point. You're starting with medicine. I mean, we're talking health and medicine, consumer products, uh, transportation and safety, energy, environment, construction, infrastructure, agriculture, food production, um, aerospace, aviation, uh, weather forecasting. So, all right, so let's get into some of these. Changed the world. um, They definitely changed the world, these spin-offs. And a lot of this was inadvertently. Like, they weren't – they were doing this to basically help themselves know more about space, but inadvertently it has helped our – culture, society, and the world. So everyone carries a cell phone, right? So cell phones were not created for by NASA. Cell phone cameras were, all right? And it's hard to actually imagine a, a cell phone, excuse me, without a camera on it. It started in the 1990s. as a team led by NASA scientist Eric Fossum. They can only bring so much stuff up there. So they need like smaller versions. And they actually mineralized a um, metal oxide semiconductor. So by able to do this and make these cameras smaller, and they needed to do it because they needed more space. And, you know, so when you, when you put something into space, you calculate every ounce, every ounce has to be calculated. Absolutely. And what they essentially did is they created a very, very small, as you mentioned, very small CMOS image sensor. And what its image sensor does, it's tiny and it captures light and turns it into an image, which is basically what a basic principle of a camera 
And that's initially it was used in DSLR cameras. So like digital, bigger cameras, like, you know, you would have five, 10 years ago. And eventually uh, the more NASA was perfecting this and making it smaller, it turned into something small enough where it could be put into um, a cell phone. So are your cell phone cameras right now, guys, that you take your selfies with would not exist unless NASA wanted to create a small camera that could take with them space. Yeah. space. And it's not just the cameras on your cell phone, but home security cameras, those video doorbells, dash cam cameras, any type of tiny camera that you can think of is because of NASA and those, and those smaller um, semiconductors. Well, yeah, and, and concurrent with that, you're still talking about cameras. They also created the ability to clear up basically what you think AI does it now, but to clear up images. Sometimes you guys see this on TV where it's like, you know, you st- there's like a movie about spies and they're like, zoom in on that, clear clear that picture. And you see like, you know, the video zoom in at a picture of a guy walking somewhere. And then all of a sudden the blurry image becomes yeah, clear. They up, yeah. actually came up with that. Like that was their version on how to clear images um, and break them down to such small particles. That was a NASA thing. But besides that, when you look at, let's say consumer products, right? Well, I'm sure you've probably had those freeze-dried foods. I've had tr- freeze-dried technology. Well, I, had, like, I remember in like the late 80s, I remember having that freeze-dried ice cream. I know. But there's even more yeah. of that. And so it's more than just that. It's also the freeze-dried and the, oh, the food safety storage. NASA, they actually partnered with uh, Pillsbury. Think of like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. Right? Which I don't know, can you still call can you still like call him know. the Pillsbury Doughboy? I don't I think mean, you can go around. Pills- I mean, right? No. Yeah, but they like poke his stomach and make him laugh. Like, I don't think that flies in 2023. Sorry, I'm just um, saying. However, freeze dried foods definitely a thing, as you said, and it was developed for space food. Really, I remember yeah. when I was younger and just like going to the space museum, National Air and Space Museum, and everyone's like, "Oh, let's get their free, you know, freeze dried food," and it was expensive, but everyone's just curious. But really, now if you go to the store, you could get freeze dried fruit apples you name it it's all there the technology's there it was developed by nasa so that way the food doesn't yeah. spoil yeah it extends the storage lights and also reduces the risk of, of contamination from bacteria and chemicals so the last again it makes it last longer i don't know if it really minimizes flavor i guess there's ways to but it's still nutritional value which is really what matters I remember like decades ago, you were telling me how your dad, no matter how good coffee you can make for him, he loves his instant coffee. No, my dad just loved instant coffee. Yeah. Well, that's just yeah. because he still does it, right? Yeah, he still does. That's from just being in like in the military, stuff like that. That's yeah, just yeah, what yeah. it was. So he was Air Force though. He was Air Force. Air Force. Air Force. Yes. Yeah. But interesting enough here, instant coffee, that is actually a NASA spinoff. That was part of their freeze dried food initiative yeah. to try to create something they could take into space. So the, your idea of instant coffee and really soup mixes, if you get like a packet mm. of soup. Tang, right? Wasn't Tang something like that too? Exactly. Yep. And like a packet of just like powder that you could throw in with some water and boil and it becomes soup. Like that also was created by NASA. Kind of sticking with consumer products, UV blocking sunglasses. So NASA uh, wanted to create some kind of a protective coating for their helmets, um, for the people in space, astronauts, and uh, for their visors. And basically, as they were trying to create this, they were trying to create something that is scratch proof and something that has UV blocking capabilities, because obviously you're in space, you know, you could be looking at things that are extremely bright. So they basically created UV blocking visors that are also very scratch resistant. And that has made its way eventually to UV blocking sunglasses. And those like odd looking safety glasses or goggles that you sometimes wear when you like motor lawn and stuff. Well, about some fitness. See, what NASA basically was noticing, the astronauts came back to Earth, they lose a lot of muscle mass and bone mm-hmm. density because there's no gravity. 
Um, so regular weightlifting techniques and machines don't do well in space to help build muscle also because like it's heavier to bring it up there. So they had, um, we, they had to come up with some sort of weightless weight trainer using elastic resistance bands and uh, actually launched into space section in 2000. That was actually Bowflex. And then I they saw actually, that. It's not crazy. They actually launched a commercial version of it in 2005 as Bowflex Revolution, which was uh, became really popular in the gym market. So yeah, so like Bowflex actually comes from NASA, and that's what the uh, astronauts used up in the space station and stuff like that if they were going to be in space for weeks, months to keep their bone density. Because a lot of times they were coming back and they couldn't walk; their legs got so weak from no gravity that they needed to to have some didn't, sort of didn't physical Didn't they do activity. that experiment a few years back where they sent one of the twins up and he was in space and the other twin was on Earth? And when they came back, like they were the same height, weight, all that stuff, when the one brother left and when the other one came back. Well, they're they're gonna like, be you, just lose so, you just lose so much mass when you're in space. You lose them. I think astronauts train like a long, like hours every day just to, to keep what they have. They're going to lose it. It's just, it's just a part of uh, anti-gravity, I guess. But yeah, Bowflex. So there you go. That, that thing that sits in your basement that you don't use, Pete, yeah, that was yeah. made by NASA. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you get into like, if you're talking about, you know, working <laughs> out, basically Under Armour, not the company, yeah. but light, like really heat absorbing, but also releasing breathable, but keep you warm, but it's really thin clothing. Like as you think you're Under Armour, like stuff that was actually created by NASA, uh, the NASA's Kennedy Space Center. Uh, mainly because the astronauts were obviously in cold temperatures, so they wanted to make them comfortable. But as you mentioned before, everything you take into space has to be small. So they're like, we can't bring these heavy jackets. So they started working and basically they subcontract as well, but different companies. And then this case was like Aspen Technologies uh, was contracted by NASA uh, to basically create some form of insulation jackets and like thermal underwear to bring to space well, like, today, well obviously like, you ever see those yeah. space jackets it's like this the space um space blanket it's like the same thing it almost looks like tinfoil yeah yeah but it's like the same basic uh, concept of so like it, things that retain heat as much as possible yep and also any form of like ai personal trainer that you guys have inside your like apple watch so you know tracks your heart rate steps weather mileage all that personal trainer stuff it used to be fitbit eventually became obviously it's all incorporated into any smartwatch now but that idea of a smartwatch that does all these things was created this artificial intelligence was created by nasa for again for the astronauts so it's like they had the watch on basically that tracked their heart rate steps weather mile everything like the whole shebang and eventually made its way to consumers, but it initially started for those trying to go into space. Just LED lights. The National Space Biomedical Research Program team built a prototype of that and found that different colors or wavelengths of these LED AM PM light bulbs can actually help people stay alert or not become drowsy because you need to make sure these people stay awake. Yeah, it said it doesn't produce. It said LED will not induce your body to produce melatonin. So if you are working under LED lighting, they realize as a certain like you know hue of it, your body will not produce melatonin. Therefore, you're not going to be tired. So interesting, right? Maybe we should just like put LED lighting in all of our students' rooms. Be like, here, do homework. Is that what they do anyway? Hopefully, not allowed to give homework. That is true. All right, the dustbuster. You're talking about the the cordless. What do you it, call it, it, right? It's the cordless battery operated tools, right? So the whole yes. point point is it was made to collect samples from the moon surface. Yes. So, it, but it was so good at collecting samples and so handy that it was used. Hospitals started using it to like pick up 
dirt or anything, you know, spills and stuff in the trees and at your home. So it was kind of a, it was easier than using like plug-in vacuum. So these yep, yep. dust busters, the cordless basically became popular. You stick it, you charge it on the wall, then you, you have to power with it. But it was originally used to collect samples from the moon. So when the kids knock over, you know, all the crumbs all over the place and you got this cordless, cordless ball, vacuum, you, yeah. you get the cordless vacuum to suck it up from the couch or whatever, all of the rug. You're using the same technology that was originally designed to collect For, uh, moon, moon rust. rust. <laughs> yeah, it's not crazy. That's kind of crazy. Going back real quick to the LED before I forget, LED was also perfected by NASA LED. to help with agriculture growing in space. Um, yes. And it has been used since then efficiently for indoor farming and crop cultivation on Earth. Various crops, you know, you could get into that. But LED-based technology was like, well, we need something. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast. But he also did a lot with water management techniques, like irrigation management technology um, that now aids farmers in optimizing water use and reducing water waste in agriculture. A lot of that stuff stems from NASA. Um, water purification, I've seen that where people go into like a creek in the middle of the woods and they like use this like pull thing that basically pulls this disgusting yellow looking water and then it like filters it through and within minutes yeah. people could drink it. That essentially stems from NASA engineers were collaborating with different companies to develop systems that would sustain us living in International Space Station, right? Future moon yeah. space missions. And the idea was like, how do we turn wastewater from respiration, sweat, urine even into, into drinkable, drink, water, yeah. drinkable water? And that, literally, that's what it does. Like any, th any form of water that an astronaut loses is collected and it goes through this purification system. Yeah. And that's ion that really, exchange. Exactly. And that literally jump started the idea of purifying water. And sometimes, guys, you see today, you know, when you go to get water, it'll say, like, this is spring water or this is purified water. Yeah, or ionized. Yeah. Yep. You're basically using about. NASA technology on how to turn pee into water. Like if it could turn pee into water, I'm pretty sure it could turn anything into water. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's mostly liquid anyway, Pete. Believe it or not, right? Yeah, but who's going to drink? Come on, where are you going? A lot of, uh, people do I, it. A lot of people. You almost said a lot of people do it. All right. Um, what else? Okay, solar panels. Go for the solar panels. Yeah, All right. So, so NASA's research, right, basically contributed to the development of efficient solar panels. So they did not create solar panels. But once solar panels were coming out, NASA's like, this is a great idea. And basically, they took that project on. And the solar panels that you could see on someone's roof they, right now or sometimes, you know, charging a phone, that is perfected by NASA research. They created, yeah, back. They, have, they, with the silicone-based cells, yeah, they kind of like improved. And they also made them sturdier so they could um, handle like more weather and stuff. Like that. The original solar panels were very fragile. So, they, yep. yeah, NASA, they didn't invent the technology, but they improved on it on the silicone-based cells to make them more like resistant and stronger and more um, practical, basically. And that's why they're becoming more commercial that people have them on their houses or yeah. know, solar powered and everything. And I'm mean, even like the, from the fifties, since the creation of NASA, um, when you think of watching and television really came out of the fifties as well, along with television, it came out night, you know, evening news. And along with that came more 
precise weather reports. Mm-hmm. I'm saying more precise because we're not going to say the weather reports are always precise. No, but, but they know if a big storm is coming or something. Exactly. Like and they could yeah. track it. And the reason they could track it is because of NASA's original satellites. So it was NASA that sends these satellites into space that provide the critical data for environmental monitoring, climate research, natural disasters, so on and so forth. So while since then, other companies, private companies, have put various satellites into space, it was NASA that started the idea of more precise weather monitoring. And that's what allowed for people to kind of be like, oh, you know what? There's a storm headed towards Florida. All right, you said GPS. What do you got about GPS? Well, the GPS is they just basically perfected the concept of reliable GPSs, which now, again, everyone has in their phone. But the 1990s, NASA scientists and um, JPL developed software capable of correcting GPS signals. So basically making it more accurate within inches. So it's called like um, basically the, the real-time uh, GPS. And um, John Deere actually licensed the software and uses it on a lot of their self-driving farm equipment. Nowadays, they said by 2016, about 70% of North American farmland is cultivated by self-driving tractors, which rely on this RTG, real-time GPS, that's developed by NASA. Hmm. And it's the same technology that's used in 911 phone calls so they can um, locate where it's being called and stuff like that. So this is all created by NASA, basically, of this, like, within inches, they can pinpoint positions. Again, with the satellites and everything. So they know where you are, basically, if you're on your cell phone. So So this one is also... Illuminati. <laughs> or NASA. <laughs> this one too, the memory foam. I'm sure you saw memory that. foam. Yes. Yeah. So, well, if you ever watch those commercials, like oh, space age NASA technology, and that's you get a lot of this stuff too. And it's commercial products. They just say, oh, this is NASA technology. People they get them to buy a lot of this stuff. You know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But memory foam um, is definitely one of those. Yeah. No, it was designed by NASA researchers for. It was intent was really to keep test pilots cushioned during flights. Uh, now it's used in beds like therapeutic, all that stuff like that. Actually, Temper Foam was developed as padding concept to improve crash protection for airplane passengers. And now it's mattresses, pillows, uh, you know, you name it. So, yeah, next time you're laying on Tempur-Pedic bed, that, that was designed for NASA. And that's also it also got me, too, because when I started looking at NASA, they also apparently created advanced crash test dummies. So the test oh, yeah. dummies that you guys see, like in cars, were creative vehicle safety testing was initially created for airplane testing and flight testing by NASA to see what happens to a person. And then the car companies adapted those, that idea of a dummy. And they're like, oh, not a bad idea. Invisalign, all right, invisible braces, was actually also created by NASA, kind of a more recent one. Material translucent polymers they were actually using to um, cover their radar equipment without mm-hmm. diminishing the signal transmission. And then dental applications started looking at this and said, you know, instead of using the wires that connect, we can just make these alignment trays, right? Cover the entire tooth without all those wires. And then that's really what they're doing now. And the dentistry has actually been changed from this, like Invisalign and all those different like companies have like changed dentistry, basically. That's cool. I mean, my kid had braces for like a year. I mean, not braces. He had Invisalign and it, it worked. Well, I mean, no, gross, I'm, I'm, but cool. I'm sure it's very effective, but that's that's NASA technology. Look at that. that. I'm going to tell Palmer, him that. Palmer that was made to go to the moon or really just cover yeah, cover, cover radar cover radar dishes in space. Still. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, talking about covering things, NASA's research on fire-resistant materials yes, right, has been crucial. 
uh, on ensuring just safety on astronauts during space missions. That's what it started. But they need to develop the material that could withstand extreme conditions in space, including high temperatures, fire hazards, it led to innovations that found applications on Earth, obviously. So building materials, fire-resistant materials that developed for spacecraft have been adopted for use in construction. If you're building a fireplace, so you have insulation that has to go again along the fireplace, it's, that's fire-resistant. You have fire-resistant caulk that goes between, you know, like where your wires go in a house. Fire-resistant panels, insulation, coatings, commercial residential usage. Firefighter equipment, specifically the firefighter jacket and coat and all that stuff. They're all fire-resistant. Obviously, they're not, they're, they could still catch on fire, but they're resistant. And they're lightweight. That's something to remember, too. That a lot of them are very, they're lightweight compared to what they were in the past. That's the whole thing, too, that they're making stronger, resistant materials, but they're lightweight so that they can be you know, still used again, so they can get stuff into space. I know I keep on harping on that, but that's why all these things are designed to be lightweight. Well, if you think of cars, and this was big in the fifties when NASA came out, but the idea of NASA's put millions of dollars, tremendous research into research on aerodynamics, period, mm -hmm. because they're trying to get a rocket into space. Yeah, they, well, to get yeah they get, get less air resistance and that affects not just cars, but also you saw um, they made like swimwear. Well, it was like clothing that makes less drag that uh, what Speedo wound up buying from them. And that's what a bunch of the Olympians wore in 2016. They broke 13 uh, records. This is creating less drag within the water. If it creates less drag in the air, it's going to create less drag in water also. That's what Isn't we figured out. insane? They're wearing like NASA Speedos. So they say like that's one reason why these records are being broken is because the, the swimsuits are better technology. I think that's crazy. Well, yeah, and cars became a lot more fuel efficient. Uh, because of mm -hmm. the aerodynamic designs, um, which stem from NASA's research. They did things when it came to improving mine safety, food safety, gold plating is a big thing, right? The benefits of gold plating, that, that's something that they did. But I saw also a lot of things that people say were created by NASA, but they weren't, like barcodes. I did see that too, yeah. Right? Well, the they did do something with barcodes. They like improved them or changed them, but yeah. But they didn't create barcodes. But I guess the biggest one is also um, Velcro. A lot of people think that it was de developed by NASA. But developed it by NASA. It was. It was used by NASA during the Apollo missions to anchor equipment. It was actually invented by a Swiss inventor in 1940. Ah. So there you go. What was made by NASA though was shoe insoles. Did you see that? Yeah, uh, the, the, um, the gel ones, right? Yeah, the way NASA was creating their boots for the astronauts, which actually I've seen them like in the Air and Space Museum. They're so cool. Yes. It's like boots that actually walked to the moon. But NASA's technology basically was for shock absorbing insoles. Um, and eventually that's essentially what you have in your athletic and everyday footwear is you have insoles when you think of like those like, you know, gel-esque inserts into your shoes, insoles. Those are created by NASA for their boots, uh, which I thought was really cool. And then also infrared temperature measurement technology. So, you know, like especially when COVID came around where you were able to point a thing at someone's forehead and it would tell you what temperature you have yeah. uh, or put it in your ear. So it's, infer it's infrared temperature measurement technology um, that we use in thermometers today was created by NASA because they needed to measure temperature in space and various different things. Um, and it was has been implemented since then for everyday usage. I mean, when I was little... You know, it was like, take this thermometer, put it under your tongue, wait a minute or two, like, see what beeps. You know, now it's like you click a button, you point it at someone's head. It's dunk. automatic. Automatic. Yeah. Yep. They can read it automatically. Thank you, NASA. Regaining muscle control. You mentioned this before with Bowflex, but the idea of physical therapy, rehabilitation, biofeedback, NASA is the pioneer of physical therapy and rehabilitation. Yeah, They're the ones that... Get the astronauts to be 
regain muscle control, again, yeah. strength, yeah. So, and that eventually kind of spirals and becomes like a medical field in itself, but it technically stems from NASA, I guess, bringing their astronauts back. Big one was the uh, cochlear implants, basically allowing a lot of people to um, hear in the late 1970s. Adam um, Kisher Jr., he actually was hearing impaired engineer stationed at NASA's um, Kennedy Space Center, and he was frustrated with the state of hearing aids um, because they could only amplify sound, not make it clear. So he tapped some of the technological advances in um, sensory systems, um, sound vibrations and sensors, and he developed um, cochlear implants. And these actually produce digital impulses in the brain to stimulate the auditory nerve endings and send clear messages uh, back into the brain, excuse me, so that people who couldn't hear can now hear. They wouldn't be able to hear without them. So th that technology is actually from NASA and from a NASA engineer. Like he did it kind of like on the side. Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to do this on the he's weekend. Like, he's like, this is going to make my job easier, so I'm going to build this. <laughs> you know? Talk about like surgeries, robotic surgery was yes, from NASA. Robotic, NASA. robotic limbs. That's what Obviously. it was. Uh, robotic yeah. arms on spacecraft, essentially. That's what that's what they started. They perfected the idea of robotic arms on spacecraft that could like pick up little minuscule things. And that basically was adopted later on for robotic surgery. It basically enables more precise and minimally invasive procedures. This does. So like you said, it's over 2,000 of these. But just know yeah. that like a lot of other things that you're seeing in everyday life, this, they were manufactured by NASA for some other purpose that then becomes consumer purpose. And this is something that happens all the time. A lot of times uh, materials used in, let's say, war become you know, commercialized, like the gen, gen engines and stuff like that, computers. So all these things are created for another purpose but then they wind up finding a niche some other way yeah, and absolutely. become consum consumer products that really become part of everyday life in 2033. You can imagine not having your camera, right? A, a dust buster, like things like that, that you, people just take buster. for granted. Well, not not hey, the you, dust buster. You have, you have two little kids. You need a, you need a dust buster. That is but, true. That is true. But, yeah, you know, when did Cheerios spill, you know, you got to be ready. I wish it was just Cheerios. Nah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so just kind of like, I guess, to summarize, uh, NASA spinoffs, when you think about it, uh, really kind of serve as like a testament, I would say, to the agency's commitment for advancing science and technology and really pushing the boundaries of human knowledge. And like the whole key of NASA is not just space, but it's also like improving life on Earth through space exploration and research, you know, and a lot of these unintended benefits kind of show you the impact of space missions uh, on relevance to everyday life. And people are like, why are we going to space? Well, if we were not trying to go to space back then, well, you would not have a lot of the things we have today we take for granted. So, you know, for a lot of people in the 50s and 60s, like, oh, why are we going into space? You know what? These people may still be alive. That's, I guess, inadvertently, even though it was unintended benefits, it does demonstrate the broader impact of space missions. Um by studying these. And again, guys, you could literally Google NASA spinoffs. There's a website that is ran by NASA and it's called NASA spinoffs. There's a database. You could search things. It tells you the whole history of all these things. They are there. But if you don't feel like doing that, you could always visit us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. If you guys have any questions, comments, or you want us to do an episode on something, please feel free to reach out. Uh, make sure you guys click that like and subscribe button. Make sure you leave us a comment. And we'll see you guys again next week. Stay safe, everybody.
I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.